Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bible, open up to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 4. And in continuation of our study through the Old Testament, if you're listening to us for the first time, what we do on uh, uh, midweek, we have our Bible study. It's through the Old Testament. And then uh, uh, Sunday uh, messages, it's through the New Testament. Uh, so that's kind of the, uh, 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 and there are from time to time we have topical messages, but it doesn't happen very often. We just go systematically through the Word of God, which there's safety in the Word of God because we have the full counsel, Old Testament and New Testament. And sometimes we hit on some very, very uh, difficult subject matter. Um, and it's so beautiful because when that happens, um, you know, it's the Holy Spirit that does His work inside of all of us, each and every one of us individually and corporately as the Bride of Christ. And then at the same time, um, you know, sometimes when I say that you know, it, it, there are passages which hit very hard, you know, the, it, it, it varies because, you know, one passage might not be so hard hitting for one, but then it is for another. And praise be to the Lord because, you know, like with me, I used to listen to messages like 20, 25 years ago, sit in the pews and listen to a message. And I used to feel like there was fire under my chair, fire underneath the pew. And in the course of what it was, the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then six months later, you know, several months later, I listened to the same, either the same uh, verses or similar themes. And I feel like it's no big deal. I mean, you know, a big deal in terms of receiving the word. But like, I didn't feel like there was the fire there anymore. You know what that means? That means it's the Holy Spirit that is doing the work inside of you. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, and it's the Holy Spirit that is building brick by brick by brick inside of His temple when you yield to Him. So we're going to pick up in, in chapter 4, the book of Numbers. And here it is written in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath. Now, what we're going to see here is specific uh, uh, tasks that are assigned to uh, uh, the people of the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, what we studied the past uh, in the book of Numbers, you have the numbering of the camp of Israel, but then at the same time, you have the special people, the Levitical priesthood, uh, and they have specific duties for the tabernacle in service unto the Lord and in service unto the people. Because remember, though, the whole purpose is for people to be right with the Lord. If you remember in Exodus 33, the Lord was like, okay, you guys go to the promised land and I'll meet you there. I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to walk with you because you guys are stiff-necked people. And if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. That's that's a, kind of like a boil down what he, what he said. But then, you know, you have the intercession of Moses as a type of Christ. And then what happens? The Lord says, okay, I'm going to go. But, you know, here's here's the, the law with sacrifice. Now there needs to be blood. Life for life. Remember, life is in the blood. That's why blood is atonement for sin. Because you have that transfer of sin. Life for life. The blood transfer. That's why Jesus Christ died. The Lamb of God. You know, without sin. Without sin. The male lamb without blemish in accordance to the law. And so look what happens here. We're going to see the, the, the breakdown of specific duties. In verse 2, it's the sons of Kohath. And then in verse 22, it's the sons of Gershon. And then in verse 29, it's the sons of Merari. And then, you know, late in the latter verses, then uh, we're going to see like little, uh, 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 the, the, the numbering, like the actual census. But here, the Lord lists the duties. In verse 2, 
Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. Now, what's very interesting is in chapter 1, you see the camp of Israel, all the different tribes of Israel, and it's 20 years and above. But then here, it's the older, in this particular census, it's the older, age 30 years, even to 50 years. But then what's so beautiful, if you remember in last week in our study, in chapter 3, you have that included in that census was the number of children. And it was one month and above, one month old and above. Children, little children. And I think it's so beautiful because you have the numbering of the children of the Levites, in chapter 3, but then you have the duties in the tabernacle in chapter 4. And what's so beautiful about that is that there's no separation from older to younger in terms of the camp, but there is a separation and a delineation from function and duties. And it's so beautiful. What an exhortation it is for parents, for parents, because children have limits. Children indeed have limits, but then at the same time, don't let their limits become your limits or God's limits. Because here you have this younger generation, they get to see the older generation going in the tabernacle, doing these specific duties, performing these tasks. They get to see it all. They get to witness it all. In chapter 1, you have 20 and above. But then here in chapter 4, you see 30 and above. You know, and I love that because, you know, you can't, it's not 20, it's a little bit older. Maturity. Remember Paul when he spoke to young Pastor Timothy? He says, let, let, nobody, let none of you be, a, uh, uh, don't, don't use a novice. Brand, brand new believers, it's very dangerous. When people put brand new believers in ministry positions, a lot of churches do it. The Bible says don't do that because they're just babies. What person would take a baby and put them on the front lines on the battlefield? You know, it's not to say that they can't be exposed to certain truths. You know, younger, you know, they get older and older and older and they more exposure because they have to learn. But then at the same time, what I love about chapter 3 and chapter 4 is that you see this blending of the younger generation and, and into the older generation. They, they're exposed to it. And let that be the same for you. If you have children, let that be the same for you. Now, as the children grow, they're going to make their own choices. You teach, you correct, and you give them the word. You give them the Lord. You teach them everything and teach by example. Don't just give them, you know, oh, you do this, you do this. Meanwhile, you're doing crazy stuff. You know, you have to teach by example. Be an example because, you know, kids learn. They're smart. They learn by what they see. They learn by what they hear. Yes, there's formal instruction, but then what happens, you know, in, you know, regular inter in interactions with people? And your kids see. And so you teach, you correct, and then with as they grow, as they mature, they're going to make a decision. They're going to choose. They're going to choose. You remember the words of our Lord when he says, you know, underneath one roof is going to be a, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
and I, you know, I, you, you know, I, I, I don't want that to be. I, I want a home to be in order. I desire your homes to be in order. But understand that people have their own choices to make. You have to, you know, as much as depends on you, you have to make your call and election sure. You can't do that for another person. That kind of blends into what we talked about on Sunday. Now, a lot of parents, a lot of churches, a lot of organizations, they want to be responsible for another person's salvation. So they come up with all these dictates. They come up with all these uh, 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 um, uh, the catechism. Which when you analyze some in the catechism, you're like, wait a second, that doesn't align with scripture. A lot of parents, they want to take an active role in the salvation. And you can to a certain degree. You can teach, you can exhort, you can warn, you can correct, you can encourage. But ultimately, the child has to make his own decision. The child has to make her own decision. And you know, teach by example. That's what I love so much when you enter into chapter 4 and you see this, the older generation, but then you look at the campsite and you see the little one-month-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, you know, and then they get to a certain age. It's like, wow, it's so beautiful. And so look what happens here in uh, verse 4. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in, in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. Notice what we're going to see here. The Lord is directing all of it. He's It's not like, you know, people just deciding what they want to do. And, oh, I feel like doing this today. I feel like doing this today. No, the Lord is giving instruction for everything. He is laying out the blueprints, giving instruction. Who's going to do what? And you see here in verse 5, When the camp prepares the journey, Aaron and his sons shall come, and they shall take down the covering, the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it, put on it a covering of badger skins. Also translates as antelope skins, but it's badger or antelope skins. And, and spread, uh, spread over that cloth entirely of blue. We're going to notice the colors here of blue. And they shall insert its poles. On the table of, show, of showbread, they shall spread a blue cloth and put, it, put on it the dishes, the pans, the bowls, and the pitchers for pouring. And the showbread shall be on it. They shall spread over them. A scarlet cloth, a crimson, it's a red in color, a scarlet cloth, and cover the same with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles, and they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand of the light with its lamps, its wick trimmers, its trays, and and all its oil vessels with which they service it. Then they shall put it with its utensils in a covering of badger skins and put it on a carrying beam over the gold over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of badger skins and they shall insert its poles then they shall take all the utensils of service with which they minister in the sanctuary put them in a blue cloth cover them with a covering of badger skins and put them on a carrying beam also they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over you notice these colors here we see in verse 6, we see blue. Verse 7, we see blue. Verse 8, we see scarlet. Verse 9, we see blue. Verse 12, we see blue. Verse 13, we see purple. And all these colors, the reds, the blues, the purples, these hues are colors of royalty. Colors of royalty. Old Testament and New Testament, we see these colors of royalty. But then at the same time, remember verse 4, relating to the most 
holy things. I think it's so beautiful when we look at the tabernacle, the construction of the tabernacle, the makeup of the tabernacle as new covenant believers, not advocating the law, but as new covenant believers, we look at the makeup of the tabernacle. We see these vessels and how it can help us in our own walks with the Lord as his vessels, vessels of the high priest in order of Mel- in the order of Melchizedek. How much of an encouragement it is for us. And you take how these duties of, uh, in verse 5, Aaron and his sons, they are to cover to be cover these vessels. And I think that's so beautiful because you have this priesthood, Aaron as the high priest, as a covering for these vessels. What is your covering as a vessel of the Lord? You know who it is? It's Jesus Christ, the high priest. You see what a shadow of the things to come this is just right here in verse in, in chapter 4 of Numbers. What an exhortation it is for us as Christians. And then also what a comfort it is. I read these verses. It's like, wow, to cover, cover here, cover this, cover this. And it's by the high priest and his sons. It's like, wow, how beautiful this is. It's comforting for me. I can only speak for me. But I pray that it's comforting for you too. Understanding that Aaron as the high priest is a shadow, a type of Christ and what Christ does for you and what he does for me in covering us with robes, special robes of righteousness. Remember, a generation of kings and priests. It's written in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Kings and priests. Now, what are those duties going to be? That's not for me to say. I don't know. We're going to receive our glorified bodies. You believe in Jesus Christ, you abide in Jesus Christ, and He in you, then you're going to receive your glorified body. It is written. You're obedient unto Him. Praise be to the Lord. You're growing, you're maturing in Him. Praise be to the Lord. You will receive a glorified body. The aftermath of that, how the Lord divvies out responsibilities, I don't know. But I do know that there's a generation of kings and priests How is that going to look during the millennial reign of Christ? What is that going to look like after the thousand years? I mean, when there's New Jerusalem, what is all that going to look like? We only have like little tiny passages about what that looks like. But oh my goodness, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. You know, if you're having problems in life, tribulation in life, remember, we're in this world. You, you can't expect paradise on this earth. And I don't want you to expect paradise on this earth. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. Tribulation. Tribulation, hard times. It's part of this earth. It's part of being here in this world. And remember that friendliness with the world is enmity with God. You know, understand that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. A lot of people today, they want to be friends with the world. Be very careful with that. Oh, we got to love people, love people. Yes, it's true. Love people. But don't forget, precursor to loving people is loving God. Loving God. When people replace God, when people start loving other people more than God, there's a problem. You see a lot of churches that happens with a lot of churches. Look at the Lutherans. 
You know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, look at the Lutherans. And then look at the Lutherans today. Look at the Methodists. Years, decades, hundreds of years ago, look at the Methodists. I'm not advocating Lutheranism, you know. Martin Luther could have gone further. You know, he could have done what he did with the New Testament, with the Old Testament. You know, in deeper ways. To understand the full counsel of the Word of God. You see, it's... it's it, it just blows me away so much how quickly a generation can turn away from the Lord. Look at, you know, you look at the Christian religions, denominations. You look at college institution, higher learning, universities. Look at their founders. What they write in their bylaws, you know, about you know how they want an organization to exalt the Lord. And have a generation of Christians. And then look at university today, what they produce in their children, in their kids, and their students. The faculty, look at what they bring in in the faculty. It's a mess. But then look at the church. And, you know, I kind of say this too as a little quasi-warning for us, for me included. Because, yes, we're in this world, but we're not of the world. You know, remember all these things in your own walk with the Lord. Remember in all these things as we study the entirety of the book of Numbers. We're just getting started. But as we look at the entirety of the book of Numbers, you're going to see good, bad, and ugly. And it's going to break your heart. But you're also going to be blessed. Because you're going to see people making right decisions. And so look what happens here in verse 14. They shall put on it all its implements with, with which they minister there, the firepans, the forks, the shovels, the basins, and all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread on it a covering of badger skins and insert its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing, lest... They die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. The appointed duty of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, is the oil for the light, the sweet incense, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, the oversight of the tabernacle, all that is in it with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Notice the very, very specific duties that the Lord has for his people, for the, for the priesthood. Very specific duties, tasks. You do this, you do this. It's not the people choosing what they want to do. It's the people tasked with doing this. And I say that because it's of great importance for the church today, for the early church and for the church today. Turn really quick to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. There was this problem that arose in the early church, and we see what happens in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So there's this little division, this faction of people. You have the Hebrews, and then you have the Hellenists, which are the Greek-speaking Jews. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So what do you have here? You have a little division in the church. Oh, these are the Hebrews. Oh, these guys are, they speak, uh, 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 they speak Greek, but they're still Jews. But there's this little chasm that exists between the two. And the widows were neglected in the daily distribution, it says in verse 1. Now, the, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, 
It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Can you imagine a pastor saying that? Can you imagine uh, an evangelist saying that? Say, hey, pastor, we got this problem. Hey, pastor, there's an issue over here. Hey, can you deal with it? What if the pastor says, "Well, you know what? It's not desirable that I should leave the work that, that I should leave the work of God and serve tables." You know how many people would go crazy over hearing a pastor say that? Oh, pastor, you're supposed to do this. Pastor, you're supposed to do this. You know there are certain responsibilities of pastoral leadership, but then at the same time, where is there opportunity for other ministries to grow? As the Lord gives, as the Lord gives these, as the Lord calls, as the, as the Lord reveals His will to other Christians, to other believers, believers in the body of Christ. Is there room for that? Because sometimes you see heavy, heavy-handed pastors who are kind of, you know, the shot callers, so to speak, presumably. You do this, you do this, you do this, you know, thus saith the pastor, you do this. But what if there's this need that arises in the church and the pastor says, you know what? It's not desirable that I should do that, that I should work in tables. It's not that they're saying, oh, that's below me. It's not that they're saying at all, you know what the pastor is doing? You know what these apostles are doing? They're staying in their lane. It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, in verse 3, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may, whom we may appoint over this business. It's not just a warm body. It's not just like, hey, you, you're a big guy. You go, you know, you, you stand security. Or you, you know, you, you're a little guy. You're, you're the little tunnel rat, you know. Hearken to the, if you're a Vietnam veteran. <laughs> you know, the little guys were the tunnel rats. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, you, you'd be perfect for this. You do this. Hey, you're good with, uh, you're a good orator, so you do this. No, it has nothing to do with that, the outward appearance. But, you know, what the apostles say here, a good reputation. They have a strong witness, a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit, not full of themselves, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And verse 4 is key. He says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's their calling. That's their calling. You know, it's like, you know, I can't take three hours to serve in the tables because I would rather take that time, that three hours, and be on my face before the Lord and praying and seeking His will for your life, for your family, for this, for that. That's what a pastor could say. It's not It's not that I'm neglecting this need in the table. It's to say, wait, you know, you guys pray and choose from among you, you know, this guy, this gal. Let them serve in that capacity. Let the Lord provide. Let the head pastor of a church, capital H, capital P, head pastor, I'm speaking of Jesus Christ, let him be the shot caller in his church. You see? And I love this so much because what happens? You see these other ministries start to grow. And then you see a pastor, the elders, and what are they doing? They're on their faces before the Lord, praying, studying the Word. On their faces before they look, before the Lord, they come up, and then they're at the tables, and they're holding their Bibles, and they got their Bibles, and they're studying, and they're reading. Kodesh, Kodesh, just like we studied in Leviticus. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. 
It's very important because you know what? The Lord has a calling for everybody. The question is, who has ears to hear what His calling is for you? And if you don't know, be patient. Wait. I used to wonder. I used to ask people all the time, how do you know what your calling is? How do you know what your calling is? Pastors, elders, I'd ask everybody. Everybody said, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes you just got to take a step of faith. I don't know. Sometimes you do. You take a step of faith, you crash and burn. Sometimes you take a step of faith and, you know, it fails. It's like, ah, I don't really like those answers. It's not like I'm the, 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 the final arbiter, you know. But I, I just didn't like those, arbit- those, 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 those responses. But I have a different perspective now. If you were to ask me, you know, how do I know my call in life? What my calling is? How do I know what my calling is? And I say it now like this. When the Lord speaks, all doubt is gone. That's what happens when the Lord speaks. All doubt. All doubt is gone. You say, well, I think it's this. It sounds like there's a little doubt there, brother. I think it might be this. Well, you know what, sister? It sounds like there's a little doubt there. You know what? Wait. I'll pray with you. We could study together. But let's wait. See, it's so beautiful because what happens? Then a person is being joined, knit together with the good shepherd. With the good shepherd. And that's the ultimate desire of a pastor. You know, just like I love John the Baptist so much. Remember? Jesus Christ, you know, the disciples of John the Baptist. He had his own disciples, but the disciples of John, John the Baptist, what happened there is like, you know, like, you know, uh, teacher, what do we do? What do we do? There's him and there's you and we love you, but what do we do? And John the Baptist, you know what he says? He's, he tells his students, who knows how long they were his students? He says, you know what, guys? I must decrease. And he must increase. You guys go to him. Can you imagine? What if he had 10 students, 20 students, 100 students? Then they followed him everywhere. And hearing, you know, John the Baptist, what what, what is our lesson for today? How are you going to teach us? And then finally, when Jesus Christ enters the scene, And begins his earthly ministry. For this teacher. To say. You know what guys. I love you. I loved walking with you. But I must decrease. You guys go to him. One by one they start to walk away. And then you have John the Baptist all by himself. That's like the ultimate goal of a pastor. To be alone. It sounds counterintuitive. But that's the ultimate goal of a pastor. Because God's sheep are with him. And then, just like John the Baptist, you're ready to die. You see? Let's go back to Numbers. And so in Numbers, you have the very, very specific tasks, very specific duties that the Lord has for His people, for the, for the priesthood. 
Same as in the New Testament. Same as New Covenant believers. In verse 17 here, at Numbers 4, verse 17, says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from, from among the Levites, but do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and to his task, but they shall not go in and watch while the holy things are being covered lest they die. So we see these covering on the holy vessels. Because what happens if they would have just gone, if, if a different person, different from a different, uh, whether from Gershon or Merari or even of, of, uh, of Kohath, if it was not in spe- the specific specific direction of the Lord, in some t- and, and we're going to see this played out in the, in the Old Testament, he would kill them. He would take their lives. Just like he did with the two sons of Aaron in their profane fire. In some cases, he would take their lives. In other cases, you would see bad things happen in the camp. And, you know, you see, I I say bad things. But remember, it's all reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. Remember, we we already studied, you know, the the passages about blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And we're going to study it more, a little bit in Numbers, but we're going to study it a lot more in Deuteronomy. Blessings of obedience and curses for disobedience. And the same thing applies as New Covenant believers. The exact same thing. Blessings for obedience. Curses for disobedience. And I don't mean curses like, you know, I mean, for Paul to tell the church, Take this brother and get him out of the church because he's leavened in the church. That's hardcore. And I'm not advocating, hey, just, you know, just, uh, you know, do that kind of willy-nilly. I'm not saying that at all. But what happens when there is, you know, such an egregious sin that enters the church? Well, you know, a pastor has the same, has responsibilities to feed, to teach, to lead, but then at the same time to protect. To protect. It's very important. You know, and one of the indicators of the last days is just this apostasy. Remember, you know, it's there's going to be, and if, if it's not already here, a great falling away, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It's just, it's prophesied. It's going to happen. You can't stop the events of the kingdom that's coming. You can't not. It will happen. And so look what happens here. You see these very specific instructions. And the Lord says, you know what? In verse 20, but they shall not go and watch while the holy things are being covered lest they die. So this covering that we, we studied, you know, covering with these veils, these badger skins of blue and of scarlet, more blue and purple. When you see these coverings, that act of covering, you know, it's like, hey, don't, don't go in to watch. Don't look. But when it's covered, you know, it's, it's, for, it's for your protection. And so look what happens here in verse 21. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take a census of the sons of Gershon. So we looked at Kohath. Now we look at Gershon. He says in verse 22, by their father's house, by their families, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them. All who entered to perform the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and caring. And, you know, all of a sudden we have this listing of all their duties. And I love it so much. 
Because we see the Lord is the one who's directing the steps. Intimacy, oneness, guidance, leading, everything. In verse 25, they shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle of the tabernacle of meeting with its covering, the covering of the badger skins that is on it, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the gate of the court, the hanging uh, hangings of the court which are around the tabernacle and altar and their cords, all the furnishings for their service and all that is made for these things, so shall they serve. Aaron and his sons shall assign all the service of the sons of the Gershonites, all their tasks and all their service, and you shall appoint to them all their tasks as all their tasks tasks as their duty. This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting, and their duties shall be under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. So you see, order. Order. And you see, as we study in future chapters, future books. Non-order has heavy consequences to include death. When things go out of kilter and out of whack with this order that the Lord is establishing here, and we're going to see it in future books, you see a lot of bad things happen. But it's reactionary to, it's out of off kilter. It's out of order. And you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I, I used to. There used to be this video game place, you know, the, the 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 video games. You know, you go in, and you know, you have the arcade, like an arcade place, and you go in. You know, there was this cheap one where it's a nickel to play game. It used to cost a quarter. The expensive one where they had like the nice games. You know, it'd be a quarter, but then the cheap one was like a nickel place, and you put in a nickel, and all the kids would go there, and you know, you'd say, "Oh, I'm gonna play this game. I'm gonna play this game." You put in your dollar in the little machine. And then out kicks all these nickels you put in your pocket. Sometimes you have like, you know, dollar after dollar after dollar after dollar. So you have these big, thick, you know, bundles of change in your pocket. And then you go to your favorite game and there's like a piece of tape on it out of order. You're like, oh man, everything's off. No lights, nothing fancy. It's just, just a box, you know, with the screen out of order. And I almost think about that when I think about the order that the Lord has for his people. Old Testament and New Testament. Because when it's out of order, you know what that means? No power. Black screen. No power. And that's what you see in the church. That's what you see in the church. And it, it pains me to say that. I don't say that like, you know, uh, like willy-nilly. It pains me to say that. But I call it like I see it. Where is the power? You see churches implementing, you see pastors implementing these uh, business philosophies, how to how to grow a business, how to expand a business, how to seek empire, how to gain empire, and they apply a worldly model to something heavenly. They take this world model and they try, they attempt to apply it to the Lord's business. And it cannot be done. It might look like it. But it will only go so far. You can never fake it with the Lord. Never. Because He sees the hearts. He sees the heart. He tests the minds. He knows. And just like being a kid going to the video game store or the arcade shop. You know, you go to the arcade place. You go to your favorite game. You turn the corner. You come to your favorite game. All of a sudden, the black screen of death. Out of order. 
You got all these big, thick pockets of nickels. Ready to play your game, except you can't. Why? Because there's no power. What about churches with no power? Families that are falling apart. Marriages that are falling apart. Kids that are turning crazy. Kids that are doing their pornography. Kids that are doing their drugs. Kids that are doing their the occult things. Lesbianism, homosexuality. Kids. You see? No power in the church. And you know what's so beautiful? It's like, you know, it's not hard. I mean, it's not hard like the remedy, the fix. Repentance. It's the Lord that does the work. But where are the obedient? Where are the obedient? Among the pastors. Among the elders. Among the deacons. Among the bishops. Where? Among the worship team, the worship leaders. You know, a guy has a nice voice, a lady has a nice voice, and they say, wow, you know, I'm on the worship team. Oh, I'm the worship leader. Well, you know, do you know, that's a very special role. That's a very special task that a person has if they're a worship leader. It's not like you're going to go play a concert. You're preparing hearts and minds to receive holy seed, the word of God. You see, it's very important to understand these. But, you know, from the get-go, if the worship leader is like off in the crazy town, and then you have the pastor off in the crazy town, how is the power going to bless the church, the congregation, when there's no power? You know, people read the Bible like it's literature. You can do that if you want to, but you know what? I don't advocate that because it's not literature. It's holy Spiritually discerned, it's for spiritual people. Sometimes you go to like theology school or seminary, which I call cemetery. And you go and they study and they read these things. They read these passages of scripture, but they read it like it's literature. And then you have the professor, so-called professor. And then they start to attack it and they do the deconstructionism and the in, in, you know, this modern philosophy, modern uh, liberal philosophy, deconstructionism. Good old Karl Barth. You see, deconstructionism. My problem with deconstructionism is put it back together properly. I don't like deconstructionism because people just deconstruct holiness, holy concepts, holy truths, and then they try to put it back together. You can't do that. You cannot do that. The Word of God is spiritually discerned. And so let's go back here. You know, very specific instructions and you see order. And we're going to see in the Old Testament too, when things go out of order, what's going to happen to a land you know what, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. And I refer to it quite a bit. But you see that um, in First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli, he was the high priest. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. 
So my question is, why in the world, what, why were they serving in the capacity of what they were serving in? When they did not even know the Lord. You see, it, it just blows me away so much. In verse 17, about these sons of Eli, verse 17, Therefore the sin of the, the young men was very great before the Lord for men aboard the offerings of the Lord. You see? But then you see in verse 18, but Samuel. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little Samuel. And so look what happens here in chapter 3 now. You talk about out of order, or you hear me talk about out of order. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Except look at this. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. I wonder why. I wonder why. Because you have, you know, the high priest dead. Who didn't, who didn't want to correct his sons. Look at verse uh, 13. I have told him, that in verse 13, I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity, which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. You know, as little kids, no spankings. No, he spared the rod. He spared the rod from his kids. And now he's held to account. So you look at verse 1 in chapter 3. It's like there's no widespread revelation. The word of the Lord was rare. But then you look. Okay, the sons of Eli, they had, they didn't know the Lord. You look at Eli wanting to be his kid's best friend. No correction. No power. Why was there? You know, you understand why there was no widespread revelation. You understand why the word of the Lord was rare in those days. But then. You take the boy Samuel, little Samuel, you see? And that's what I love so much. You know, especially when talking to the younger generation. You ever talk with like you know, kids, teenage, little teenagers, 13-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old? As you get older, you know, like 20-year-olds are going to be kids to you as you get older. You know, I had a friend who was like in the mid-80s. And so he'd always refer to like 60-year-olds as kids. You know, it's funny. We'd always laugh. And it just blows me away so much because you can exhort this young generation, kids, 8-year-olds, 7-year-olds. You know, when the world is going crazy, everything is going nuts. The world is upside down. Good is bad. Bad is good. But the Bible says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And you have all these confused kids. You say, hey, these things have to happen. And be like Samuel for a little kid. Little 10-year-old boy, little 10-year-old girl. Be like Samuel. The word of the Lord was rare. There was no widespread revelation. Except the Lord was talking to Samuel. You see? Look at Samuel's faithful mom. How beautiful, you see? I love it so much to see how, you know, it's like everybody, you know, you read the Bible, you expect holiness to emanate among the, the priesthood. And in the Old Testament, there, you see that in, in our study in Numbers, you do see that. But then when you see corruption from the high priest, when you see corruption from the priesthood, you know what happens? The Lord goes, okay, you guys want to be crazy? Okay, my eyes are going to be on Samuel. My eyes are now on Hannah. And I'm going to bless her. You know, my eyes are on Isaiah. 
I love it so much. A religious establishment. Defunct religious leaders. Defunct pastors. Defunct elders. Defunct dads. Defunct moms. So, where are the Samuels? See? It's so beautiful, like for every generation. Let's go back to Numbers. Um... Verse 29, Numbers 4, verse 29. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old. You shall number them, everyone who enters the service to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And this is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting, the boards and the ta of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, and the pillars around the court with their sockets, pegs, and cords, with all their furnishings and all their, and all their service. And you shall assign to each man by name the items he must carry. This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. Again, order. You know, there's no pole positioning here. It's not like, you know, you ever see like in, in, in corporate America, you get a guy who's like, you know, GP, he's with the general population. And then all of a sudden he gets like a lead position and he thinks he's, he thinks he's the bee's knees. You know, all of a sudden he thinks he's cool. And he ends up being like a heavy hand over those that are under him. You know, or the same thing with the lady, you know, she's GP, she's part of general population. All of a sudden she becomes a manager and she's, she thinks she's the stuff, you know. And she's just heavy-handed. Okay, you know, you guys do what I say. I'm the boss. I'm the shot caller. I'm doing this. But what I love... And that's what you see in corporate America. That's what you see in business. That's a business model. You know, but... You look here in Scripture... And you don't see that pole positioning. It's just people performing their tasks. Holy people performing holy tasks. And that's what we see here in Numbers. That you see the desire of the Lord. The Lord, you know, He laid out the blueprints. He has the people for this function. Now He's laying out their tasks, their functions. Whether the people do it, we're going to see. And it's going to break your heart like it breaks mine. Whether they do it, what happens? But look at the church today. What happens? That's what happens when the Lord is forgotten. Maybe you might be able to say that of your own life. What happened? The same way I said it of my own life. What happened? You see? But God is gracious and He is merciful and He loves you. Repent. Repent. That's, it's so easy. That's what's so beautiful about a steady diet of the Word of God. You read, you read, you read, and not as literature. You read, and then the Holy Spirit will convict you. Whoa, Lord, I had no idea you had a problem with that. This is me. This describes me. And so, therefore, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. You see? When that happens, that's you yielding to the Word of the Lord. That's you yielding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But if you start to read, and this is very common, you start to read, and you're like, ooh, I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good. I like feeling good about myself. So I'm just going to read these Psalms. 
And then you start highlighting, oh, you know what? Are you putting an X out through certain pages? I'm not going to read this because it's too convicting. I don't like to hear that. Well, you know what you're doing? If that happens, and I pray it's not happening with you, but you know, you might know other people that, that, that do that. That's candy coating. That, that's, that's cherry picking. That's cherry picking. And the full counsel of the word of God is medicine to our souls. For my soul and for yours. Even the hard-hitting verses, the hard-hitting topics, the hard-hitting subject matter. You read it and you apply it to your lives. I apply it to my life, you apply it to your life, and then we have koinonia, the fellowship of the saints. Because what happens if they're not saints? You can have a fellowship, but then it's just a social club. But it's not a fellowship, period. It is a fellowship, but of the saints. Who are the saints? A consecrated people. A people set apart. A holy people. So let's continue what we see here in verse 34. And Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and their father's house. From 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for work in the tabernacle of meeting and those who were numbered by their families were 2,750. These were the sons who were numbered of the families of the Kohathites. Now I have to pause here for a moment. Verse 37 says the families of the Kohathites. Verse 38 says the sons of Gershon. Verse 41 says the families of the sons of the Gershon. And verse 42 says the families of the sons of Merari. Same thing in verse 45. We see the families of the sons of Merari. But there's something different in verse 37. There's no reference to the sons. No reference to the, the sons. It's the families. The mishpacha. That's my Hebrew tongue. Mishpacha. And it is family relatives, family relations, but it includes non-male kin. And I say this as an exhortation to my sisters in Christ. Because you know what happens? We're going to read these passages about the priesthood and it is very male-centric. Very, very, very male-centric. Especially in this first generation in Numbers. As a little exhortation, this is the generation that dies. Okay? The second generation, as we started and when we, when we had our introduction to Numbers, the second generation that goes to the Promised Land, they have a, a females Females included in the census. So a lot of what we're studying here in this these particular passages is very, very male-centric. Verse 38, sons of Gershon. Verse 41, sons of Gershon. Verse 42, sons of Merari. Verse 45, sons of Merari. But in verse 37 says the families of the Kohathites, which is the Mishpacha. It includes non-male kin. And I say this for a specific reason. Turn with me really quick to First Chronicles. First Chronicles, chapter 6. First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 1. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Those are the, 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 the tribes that we're studying right now in, verse, in Numbers. In verse 2, 
the sons of Kohath. So remember, Numbers 4, verse 37, we just read that Mishpacha is just family and kin, not to exclude females. But the sons of Kohath were, um, were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Now, is in, verse 30, in verse 3, the children of Amram, so the Amram was, was the son of Kohath, but now, you know, the children of Amram were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. See? Female inclusion, the mishpacha, not to exclude sons. Now, why do I even bring this up? Turn with me again to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And I love this, these passages so much. In Exodus 15, verse 20. What do we see here? What do we see? If you look at like the, the, the end of verse 19, it says, The children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So now you have the, the, the exodus, the exodus, and, and all the, the, the chariots. Uh, the, the, in, in verse 19, the horses of Pharaoh went on his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. So Israel has victory. But then look at verse 20, the uh, mishpacha of Kohath, the Kohathites, the mishpacha. Uh, the, 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 uh, of Amram. Verse 20, then Miriam, Miriam, the prophetess, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel, tambourine, translates as tambourine, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her. So now she's leading. She's leading. Miriam, a prophetess. Sister of Aaron took the timbrel. She grabs the timbrel. What a mighty victory that the Lord just gave them. Where were the men? Where were the men with their initiative? No. You see Miriam. And the Mishpacha. And all the women went out after her. Picture her all alone. She gets up, grabs the timbrel, and starts worshiping the Lord. Men see it, men hear it, and their wives, their daughters, all the women get up and they follow after Miriam. They follow her lead. You see, Miriam is leading by example, and the other women followed after her. It says in verse 20, all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has thrown into the sea. How beautiful this is. Because in this, in this uh, or, or, or uh, uh, mishpacha of the Kohathites, it's not to exclude females. And I say this is a very, very special exhortation to my sisters in Christ because there are passages that we read in the Old Testament a lot which are very, very male-centric. And when we get to those passages, you know, sometimes it's just, that's just how it is. Sometimes it's just flat out, hey, this is for the males. But then there are other passages, just such as what we're looking at right now, where there's the inclusion of females. And I don't say this to have any kind of superiority complex over my sisters in Christ. Because you know why? Because in Christ, what the Bible teaches us, there's no male or female. Males have certain responsibilities. Females have certain responsibilities that they're able to do, that men are able to do. But in Christ, there's no more male or female, slave, free, Jew, Greek. 
So it's like, hey, let's get in this boat together. Let's abide in Christ together and Christ in us. Each and up, every one of us individually. But this is the way of consecrated people. A people set apart. A holy people. A kingdom of kings and priests. So you see this beautiful inclusion here. This uh, uh, mishpacha. Let's go back to Numbers verse chapter 4. Numbers 4. And what do we see here in Numbers 4 in verse uh, uh, 37? It says, The families of the Kohathites, all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now, what's very interesting about these Kohathites, in our study in chapter 3, verse 29 says the Kohathites are on the south side of the camp. So, they're on the south side of the camp, but in chapter 3, verse 38, you see Moses and Aaron which are still of Kohath, what we you know what we read in First uh, Chronicles chapter six. It's also referenced in, in in Exodus. They're also of Kohath, except they're on the east side. It's almost like you have a remnant within a remnant, a very special people, a remnant within a remnant. Look at Israel. Twelve tribes of Israel, and then all of a sudden there's a breakup. The ten tribes in the north, the two tribes in the south. Judah is like a, a remnant within a remnant. But even within Judah, you see Jeremiah, which is like a remnant within a remnant within a remnant. Look at the the apostles. Remember, you know, when I mentioned in our study in the book of Acts how Paul was a different person? Yes, there were godly people there. Yes, there were apostles. But there was something different about Paul. How the Holy Spirit was ministering to him. How when he was by himself, when in, in that upper chamber and kind of in lockdown. And the red letters were right there with him. Jesus Christ was right there with him. Something different about this particular fellow. A remnant within a remnant. You know, remember that. Because we're going to see it all over the Bible. A remnant within a remnant. I mean, we're going to see the remnant. We're going to see the entirety. But then we're going to see a remnant. And then we're going to see remnants within a remnant. And not to exclude the stump. Which I'll explain that later on. You know, it's so beautiful how the Lord teaches us. And so look what happens here in verse... 38, and those who were numbered of the sons of Gershon by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and from above, from 30 years old and above, even the 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for work in the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered by their families by their father's house were 2,630. These are the ones who were numbered of the families of the sons of Gershon, of all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord. Those of the families of the sons of Merari, who were numbered by their families by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for for work in the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered by their families were 3,200. These are the ones who were numbered of the families of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to, to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. 
all who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel numbered by their families and their fathers' houses, from 35 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who came to do the work of service and the work of bearing burdens in the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered were 8,580. Now, several things we have to unpackage here. Notice this small number eight, in verse 48, 8,580. This small number compared to the hundreds of thousands of Israel. What we studied in chapter 1, we looked at a little, bit, little, little references in chapter 2. Very small in numbers, these minute Levites. A remnant within a remnant. You see? We're going to see remnants all over the place. Just like among the priesthood with Eli and his priest's sons. Where is the remnant in that home? Samuel. See? A remnant within a remnant. You say, wait, why are you calling Eli and his sons remnants? The Lord killed them. Okay? They still had a task to do. Yes, they were defunct, but they were still a remnant in the entirety of Israel. They were still a remnant. Except they lost regard for their destiny. Just like we studied a couple weeks ago. You see, now you're starting to see all these, okay, I get it now. This fits here, this fits here. It looks like this, 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 this. That's what's so beautiful about the full counsel of the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. New interpreting old, old interpreting new. Text, context, co-text. The medrashic means of reading Holy Scripture. Text, context, and co-text. And I love it so much because then we start to understand deeper and deeper and deeper the nature and the character of our Lord. Now, in verse 47, he says in the, in the middle, everyone who came to do the work of service and the work of bearing burdens in the tabernacle of meeting. Remember last week how we looked at the word obada obada? which is a bondservant. So here it says, everyone who came to do the Obadah, Obadah, bondservant, of Obadah, Obadah, bondservant again. Actually, it's not, it's Abodah. I, was, I don't know if I was saying Obadah, but it's Abodah. Abodah, Abodah. So to do the Abodah, Abodah, of service, which is Abodah, Abodah, and the Abodah, Abodah. That's a lot of reference to bondservant. Does that ring a bell? A bondservant. Service unto the Lord. Yes, you have freedom to do this, freedom to do that, freedom to do this, freedom to do that. Except, who is the soul? This is, Lord, you know what? Your will for my life. Just like Paul. Just like Paul when he says, I'm a bondservant of Christ. Not pridefully, like, hey guys, I'm a bondservant of Christ. No, it's no prideful at all. His witness testifies. He doesn't have to say anything. His witness testifies. But I love it so much when we see that. And you see it in people today, in the church. Very few. What is that? A remnant within a remnant. 
You see? It's so beautiful. This Abodah, Abodah, bondservant. In straight up the book of Numbers, a bondservant. And when he says here, to do the work, Abodah, Abodah, of service, Abodah, Abodah, and the work, Abodah, Abodah, of bearing burdens. In the Hebrew, this word for bearing burdens, it's the desire for burdens. It's not like, you ever see people like Christians or ministers, pastors, elders in whatever capacity? Oh yeah, I'm in ministry, I do this. Oh, but I hate it. I can't stand it. I, oh man, I got to talk to these people again. I got to do this. It's like, wait a second. It doesn't look like you love your burden too much. You know, it's so beautiful about, you know, when the, you know, you hear me talk earlier about, you know, when the Lord has a calling on your life, because when he has a calling on your life and you know it, all doubt is gone. All doubt dissipates because the Lord speaks. Where there's that saying where God guides, God provides, which we're going to see that exemplified even in the wilderness where God guides, he provides. But if the Lord calls you into ministry, you know, the Lord calls you into whatever capacity to minister to an individual, to minister to a family, to minister to a married couple, to minister in whatever capacity. He will provide for you. But then at the same time, you're going to have a desire for these burdens. And I can't explain it. I cannot explain it. I'll attempt to explain it. Uh, I want to explain it, but I also don't want to because of the, the puffery involved. But I'll say it like this. When the Lord has a calling on your life and you spend hour upon 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 hour in the service of that calling, you'll love it. like home it's like home you'll love it you'll even love the spit you'll even love the punches you'll love it all why? and that's how this translates in the Hebrew the bearing burdens is the desire to have these burdens. And what I love so much, it also it's like you have all these words in the Hebrew, all these words for burdens, but then you have the word sing in there. <laughs> it's like, what is that doing there? And I love that even more. Because you're going to have a love for these burdens, but then at the same time, you're also going to have like singing in worship. You're going to have a heart that sings praises unto the Lord. Praises unto the Lord. And so look at in, in verse 49 now. We already read verse 48. I'll read it again just for orders. 
you know, it says then the, those who were numbered were 8,580, a very small number compared to the, you know, the entirety of the camp of Israel. Verse 49, according to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service, each according to his abodah, abodah, and according to his task, which is the desire for these burdens. That's how it translates in the Hebrew. And you know what? It's so beautiful how the Lord works. Because you might have no idea what the, the Lord has for you. And you know what? If that's the case, praise be to the Lord. His timing is perfect. You walk with the Lord. You abide in Christ and He in you. And in the course of time, remember, the Bible says, don't use a novice. Don't use a, a novice for ministry. So if you're a novice, don't, you know, be patient with your calling. If you're like a brand new believer, be patient. Be patient because the Lord is going to grow you, stretch you. He's going to challenge you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to raise the bar. He's going to do all these things to grow you, to mature you. And then he's going to say, you know what? Now I want you to do this. Now I want you to go here. Now I want you to talk to these people. You know what's very interesting in talking to people? You know, of course, winning people for Christ. But I'm finding something very interesting among the atheists. They know their Bibles. They hate the Bible. Their motivation behind knowing the Bible is evil. But they know the Bible. And it shocked me. Each time I, I talk with them, you have different you know, kinds of atheists. Sometimes they hate they hate. They think they hate the Bible, but it turns out it's like, wow, I didn't even know all that. And you can win them. But sometimes you talk to atheists, and they know their Bible more than pastors know their Bibles. So when the Bible says, don't use a novice, there's a reason behind it. There's a reason behind the wisdom of not using a novice for certain ministries. Of course, you have brand new believers who are hungry to share the Lord and you know that's beautiful when you do I'm not saying don't do that you know certainly do but understand the fight understand that the fight is real and there are atheists out there who know their Bibles who hate the Lord you know and whenever I think about that it's not like okay they hate the Lord so I hate them they're my enemy now no it's you know maybe this guy doesn't know the Lord I mean he doesn't know the Lord but Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's basing his decision off of the hypocrisy of Christians. Maybe she's basing her decision off of the hypocrisy she sees in Christians, the hypocrisy she sees in, in pastors and elders. Maybe she was molested by a pastor. Maybe she was sexually assaulted or raped by a pastor, so-called pastor. And the pastor tried to sweep it under the rug. And now she's, you know, an adult now, or now she's older, and now she's you know, uh, been victimized. And if her doctrine has been, if she's been taught in, as a child, you know, crazy doctrine. Oh, God ordains all these things to happen. God makes all this happen. So, you know, uh, this was uh, ordained to happen. Your rape, your molestation was preordained to happen. You know what's going to happen? That person is going to hate God. That person is going to hate the Lord. Because two things happened. She was under the influence of bad doctrine. 
But then she was also under the stewardship of a bad pastor, a wolf. Sometimes it's the so-called church which produces these atheists. And this atheist, so-called atheist, hates everything that she knows about Christianity. And you know what? That brand of Christianity, so-called Christianity, I don't disagree with her. Because she's had a defunct pastor and she's had defunct doctrine. You know what I say? If you're an atheist and you're listening and maybe this resonates with you. You've been under the influence of a defunct model. God loves you. You say, I was a victim of this. I understand. You were. I don't deny that. It breaks my heart. When I talk with men, grown adult men, big, strong guys, and we're all alone, me and a guy, we're all alone. This big, strong guy. And all of a sudden, he just kind of cowers down and he starts to open up. I was molested. I was molested in this youth group. I was molested as a, as a child. I grew up in a Christian home. This is what my home looked like. I hated it. I, I can't stand it when, you know, I, I hate it. I cannot stand it. I detest it. And I also weep. And, you know, a lot of times they start consoling me. They go, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And we start laughing, you know. I should be consoling you. What are you talking about? That's the danger of hypocrisy. The Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. Remember, a people set apart. Not for my glory, not for your glory. For the Lord's glory. For Him. All for Him. Remember Jesus Christ on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Remember Stephen? Lord, don't hold this against them. Remember Paul? I wish I could be anathema from Christ for the sake of my brethren. You see? That's some wild love. But it's the love of Christ. To talk to an atheist like that. Can you tell? You know, sometimes atheists, they travel in bunches. And it's kind of hard when it's traveling in bunches because you're kind of fighting at all angles. You know, this guy says this, this girl says this, this guy says this. And you're like, okay, hold on, you know, one at a time, one at a time. I guess in one regard, it's not. I mean, it's, the Lord is with you. So, I mean, you know, you can, I kind of like it because you can fire in all directions. When you're surrounded, you know, praise the Lord, you can fire in all directions. But even so, there has to be order. It's like, hold on, one at a time. This guy says this. Oh, why is this? Okay. Well, you point to this, but this is also written. Then, oh, but this happened. Oh, yeah, you point to this, but it's also written. Then another one chimes in. Well, what about this? Yes, I understand. And that's, what's so, that's why you cannot be a novice. But then when you take an atheist alone, isolate them, they're not so tough anymore. And I don't say that like in a, you know, hey, you're going to beat them up. You know, I don't say it like that. But sometimes, you know, they can kind of, that little, that exterior shell can crack a little bit. 
what's up with atheism? How, how, what happened? And all of a sudden they start to open up. And I tell you the truth, a lot, the majority of it, sex, drugs, alcohol, and the fourth, the occult. Sex, drugs, alcohol, and the occult. That's a bad mixture. Sometimes they're former Christians. They grew up in the church. And they believed in Jesus Christ. And the majority of times I see this happen, it's sex, drugs, alcohol, and the occult. Those four. For parents, be on the lookout for those things. I mean, among other things. Sex, drugs, alcohol, the occult. Oh, I had a fifth false doctrine. False doctrine. It's dangerous. Kids are growing up. I thought it was a war zone when I was a kid. And it was a war zone. But the war zone for kids now? Forget about it. It is crazy. Crazy. But don't let that be a deterrent. Don't let that be a deterrent. You know, deterrent, you know. Engage. Engage. Fully engaged. For the honor and glory of our Lord. So in closing, let's look at verse 49. According to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service and according to his task. Thus, they were numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. We're going to end our study here. And you see all this obedience, 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 obedience. Moses is obedient. Aaron is obedient. You see, it's beautiful. But something's going to happen in our future chapters. Something's going to happen. Let this be a great encouragement for us. Let this be a great warning for us. Because the same exact thing can happen to you and me. Or everything. Obedience, obedience, obedience. And then, well, falter over here. Obedience, obedience. Little falter over here. Let's not be the dog that goes back to his vomit. Let's not be the pig that wallows in the mud. Let's be a people set apart, sanctified for Jesus Christ. Who's coming again. So next week, we'll pick up in chapter 5, Lord willing. God bless you guys. Love you guys.